Iron Man declares war. Criminals are using Tony Stark's technology for evil purposes, and Stark won't stand for it anymore. It's one of the most famous Iron Man stories of all time, and it all starts here, featuring Ant-Man and Cassie Lang, the future stature of the Young Avengers, and the threats of Stiltman and the Controller. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Pivey. And today we're going to talk about Iron Man issue 225, the part, the first of the Armor Wars series here on Speechless. Hello and welcome to, I guess, it's, it's emergency season differences. I don't know. We're trying something different here. Um, uh, Chris, was also thinking. Just, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was wondering, should we also potentially come up with like a totally different title for like this subsection of episodes <laughs> that we're doing as I'm crashing into your speechless, catching probably folks unawares? No, that's fine. I mean, honestly, it's not mine. It was just I was doing it because... Initially, it was I just wanted to talk about Hawkeye, and then, and the, the, the Green Arrow. It was like you basically dared me on the Discord to do it. <laughs> That's the only reason why I've been doing them. Um, so I mean, I'm happy to share speechless with you when we, we could talk together about comics. It'd be fun to talk together about comics. We're just, we're both really big fans of. I guess it's called the Bronze Age, the '80s era of comics, <laughs> in particular. Um, but so let's let's kind of talk about that a little bit. I mean. Um, this is a pretty specific run. It's eight issues. We're going to actually cover 10 because there are also two crossover Captain America issues, which we're going to cover. But this is a 10-issue run of Iron Man, which is pretty unheard of at the time. That is kind of a long run. But you actually suggested this run. So I'm curious to know like, what your, why you proposed this, what your relationship is with the, the Armor Wars storyline. Well, a, a lot of it comes from the fact that Anyone that's been following me recently knows for the past six months, I've been slowly going through like my eight long boxes of comics and slowly bagging and boarding them. And I would randomly mm-hmm. post them on the Discord or I'd post them online. And mm-hmm. I posted the Armor Wars one and you made a comment. I forgot what it was, but I was like, mm, I bet that is an idea that I could run past Eddie to try to convince him to do more podcasting with me. Mm-hmm. And I may shoot out six or eight ideas a week and you shoot down about nine of them and <laughs> i like how i'm the tyrant in this well if we if you told the story it'd be different but i'm telling the story <laughs> so i have to be the compelling protagonist that people root for in this tale to overcome um and so based on that and i remember reading it as a kid when it first came out and i would collect them and i remember liking it mm-hmm. but i haven't read it since then and i was like this is a chance to start back reading some of my comics they're already out I own it. It's a chance for me to hang out more with Eddie and talk about comics, which is something I dearly love. And sweet, my story is actually pretty similar. Um, like when I was collecting, like uh, getting Marvel comics when I was a kid, uh, there were really, I mean, there were a lot of them I pick up occasionally, um, but the main ones I picked up were Transformers, uh, the Larry Hammer G.I. Joe, Fantastic Four, um, which is kind of, uh, late John Byrne, uh, early Steve Englehart, and Iron Man, pretty much for this run. And for years, I had I was missing like several issues in the middle of the run. Uh, but I remembered really liking it. And there's a couple of issues that, in particular, um, I remember I have very strong memories of. This is one of them. And then about 
two years ago, I saw they had collected Armor Wars, and I was reading, I was like, I think I remembered this. So I picked it up digitally, like <laughs> a few bucks, and I read through it, and I had this weird moment of like, I look at a page, and immediately like whole sections of dialogue would just pop into my head before I read it. <laughs> um, but then I would go to the next issue, I'm like, I don't remember any of this. Like, oh, that's how that guy got there. That's what this is about. <laughs> 30 years later, I finally found out what this story was doing. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, it's been a couple of years since I've reread these. Um, but also I suspect as we go through and you may have the same thing of like, there may be chunks where it's like, oh yeah, I completely remember exactly what this happened. Like, like next issue, I have opinions about Stingray, but we'll not get into that yet. <laughs> well, there's one thing that I remembered just from the cover that I dropped in the discord and mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell people what it is yet. We'll get there eventually. But, and then when, when it happens, I will like shout it out from the rooftops. Right. But the um, most important thing I need to ask you before we really get into this, though, is mm-hmm. which Iron Man suit do you like the best? So it's interesting because, like, I understand the the um, the red and gold is like the iconic Iron Man, but I grew up on this this era, which is the red and silver with a huge shoulder pads, this huge eighty shoulder pad. <laughs> but this was also. Um, an era that I have since found out where they were trying to uh, uh, come up with ways to make Iron Man toys, right? They're, they're very strongly moving toys. And so they're trying to come up with all sorts of reasons to come up with lots of different suits for Iron Man. And, and Armor Wars was a really strong run of this. So I mean, as we go through, I mean, like, you know, hey, I remember that suit. I remember the suit. But I, 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 did, I still have memories of the stealth suit, the, the pure black Iron Man suit. And yes. It was so cool at the time. <laughs> It makes so, no goddamn sense, but I still really <laughs> loved it as a kid. Well, it's like Gambit wearing metal boots as a thief. You know, it <laughs> yes. sort of just kind of works. Metal boots so, and neon pink. <laughs> and fingerless gloves. Yes. Go, <laughs> Gambit, you're the worst. All right, so uh, I guess back to Iron Man before I go off into that. Much to my shame. One of my favorite Iron Man suits, and I will say this here, is like the aquatic suit with like the big bulky sort of underwater look and the glass little helmet on it. Yes. I don't know why I like it, but something about that appeals to me aesthetically. I actually have not read ahead, so I vaguely remember like it being like his faceplate and there was like a clear glass in front of the metal faceplate or something. <laughs> it, yes. it was something weird about it. I was like, what is going on here? Um. Uh, but anyway, uh, so kind of like I usually do with Speechless is rather than doing a recap and then diving in, I'll probably just skim through the issue and then we can pop in as we go through each page. Um, but I do want to say that uh, I did do a little bit of research leading into this. So okay, what's the story has happened up to now? All right. I'm um, sorry. You yes. did research. I have to leave this podcast now. Nah, <laughs> I couldn't help it. I was curious. Sorry, I don't know what's ahead. going on. Um, <laughs> In this case, it was it wasn't really research in the sense that like I actually looked up is more that um, I got this as part of the Epic Collection, which by the way, if anyone's ever interested, the Epic Collections by Marvel are actually really fantastic. They're about four hundred to five hundred pages long, usually in for like thirty forty bucks, and it's like nineteen or twenty issues in a run, so it gives the right context. And this one, Armor Wars, it falls like kind of in the middle of the issues, So you get like the issues that before it and then a couple issues after it. So I actually get to see some, read some of the lead up to it as I was reading up to this issue. Um, and it basically comes down to Tony's just been fighting a lot of armored characters recently. 
Um, and he's up to this point, he's been finding like, okay, clearly something has happened to where there's this big explosion of armored characters and what's going on. So you see some references to previous issues leading up to this, which is pretty common for the era, but I just want to say that it's, it has been not only as a trend, but also a trend that Tony has specifically noted going into it. So then I guess if, if I was a listener, my, one of my first thoughts would be he's Iron Man. He obviously fights armored opponents. What makes that so different than the rest of his history? Yes. <laughs> it's certainly a case of this is unusual because the writer has said it is unusual. Um, uh, I will say that it did seem like there was certainly a lot of back to back to back, like, like in, in classic Iron Man, um, it was kind of broken up with some other things. He had more than usual amount of armored characters, but like, they'd be like, uh, uh, you know, the different characters kind of in the middle there, like the melter or whatever. Um, I didn't say they were good, but they were there. I'm sorry. Um, I guess I, I'm new to the podcast, so I'm not. I'm, all right, that is my last second time thing I'm new, except I'm going to say I'm new one more time right now. So for folks who don't, who are not really sure who the Melter is, the Melter is someone that is in an armored suit with an open faceplate whose superpower from the suit is if he touches it, be- touches his belt, it shoots out a heat ray that melts things. Right. It melts iron specifically. That's it. That's <laughs> it. There, there are no rocket boots. There are no force fields. Nope. Just he me- he heat ray. Metal. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think it's safe to say that Iron Man's uh, cast of villains is not great. And this, uh, what makes this run interesting is that it does a pretty good job not only showing you all of them, but also like, a decent job of making them somewhat scary. Uh, but we'll get into that. Uh, so anyway, um, we start with uh, page one, uh, which is actually titled Stark Wars. And uh, for years, I thought this was true. It's since been, I've since found it's not true. But apparently, I always had been told through fandom that it was changed to Armor Wars because Disney was going to sue Marvel for Stark Wars because it sounds too close to Star Wars. Which, <laughs> in the day of Disney owning Marvel, is kind of a hilarious thought. <laughs> uh, but this was 98 or so, 87-ish. So, different times. Um, but uh, Iron Man is... Starts off with him, uh, you know, looks like, oh my god, he's being attacked by two missiles. And so he defeats the missiles for, for a couple of pages and turns out that it's actually a test at a uh, military base. Um, and we get the classic 80s thing of trying to recap the status quo a little bit. So it's Iron Man talking about, you know, I'm doing this for Stark Enterprises as we're trying to show the, these brass kind of some, some new technology that Tony Stark has invented and I, Iron Man, am totally not Tony Stark. Tony Stark is in this van <laughs> two miles away. He couldn't be here right now, but let me go get him and he'll be right here. And everyone believes this. <laughs> That's back when secret identities were important. I know. And it's it's funny like because we're so, especially after Iron Man 1, you know, it's such an age of um, Tony, everyone knows Tony Stark is Iron Man. Um, but like the end of Iron Man one where he's talking about, oh, you know, Iron Man was my bodyguard and he throws it away. And it's like, they don't realize that that was actually his cover for like 40 years. <laughs> I miss like, nope. secret identities. It's, it's, it's uh, given in like this day and age, it's nearly impossible to keep, but I love the concept and premise behind the secret identity. And mm-hmm. it still holds true. Even 
even now because it, it endangers all your loved ones and all your family to be out doing heroics if everyone knows who you are. Well, yeah, yeah, and um, it's such a funny we mentioned Terry Davis because uh, at the uh, bottom of page three, um, we find out that uh, the person running the truck is actually uh, uh, Jim Rhodes, who is uh, his pilot and actually was Iron Man for a time uh, when Tony Stark was basically a drunk out, you know, deep into his alcoholism problem. Uh, and I had, I will go on record saying that I genuinely think Judy Rhodes was a really good Iron Man. And I think that is not nearly as compelling as War Machine, but when secret identities matter and no one knew who was in the suits, that was some interesting dynamics of like, you know, you sound a little different and, you know, you're, you don't have the same knowledge that Iron Man did. And it was interesting to see Rhodey kind of try to walk that line for a while. Do you remember the West Coast Avengers episode, when the issue when they first got together? And there was the West... <clears throat> Sorry, but for a geek history lesson, I have to do the West Coast Avengers. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, when they first got together and Rhodey was Iron Man for the team and no mm -hmm. one knew it was Rhodey and they were having the West Coast Avengers always have their cookout. And he was like, how can I eat this delicious looking <laughs> hot dog right. without taking off my helmet and revealing I'm not Tony? Like that was was beautiful, and it's one of those funny things. No, yeah. Oh God, West Coast Avengers is another one that like I was much more of a West Coast Avengers fan than a normal Avengers fan back when both were running. Um, but anyway, so uh, Iron Man, who's actually Tony Stark, um, goes to the van, and, and uh, Rhodey's inside, and we see some beautifully nonsensically elaborate tech inside the van. Um, of, of these beautiful purple walls are just covered in technology and this computer board that is just way overdrawn and just amazing. I love that kind of Kirby level of ridiculous tech. <laughs> uh, uh, but they talk about the fact that um, uh, Rhodey's more than Tony Stark's pilots. Um, and again, they kind of re recapping for the audience their nature and relationship of had that Tony knows, or that Rhodey knows who Tony's uh, uh to identity is and helps cover for him. And they drive the van back to talk to uh, well, the general. But, but one more thing that I really like that it does, it also reinforces, well, reinforces and changes some of Tony Stark's history by saying he needs the government contracts, but it's hard because he's not making munitions anymore. So it's showing it's a right. shift from generating like warfare attacking sort of tactics to more of a defensive base. So that sort of like helps recenter the heroic nature of the character while still being a capitalist and not having people sort of hate the character. Right. And that's part of the reason why he's doing this is this is basically prep for a show in front of the brass because it is a really hard sell of, I want to show you, advocate all this, techn this defensive technology uh, and rather than actually making weapons. So that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, and with the, General um, is uh, one named Shannon, uh, who I believe is a reporter, right? I think. Uh, yeah, reporter or... Uh, I didn't It's not clear at the moment. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Tony Stark, doing class Tony Stark thing, of, um, he's like, hey, you know, would you like to have dinner? I know this great place that serves Alaskan king crab. Where is it? And it's Nome, Alaska. Because like, he's rich. He's <laughs> gonna I'm going to fly you to Nome, Alaska to have dinner, because that's Tony Stark. Uh, I like also, the transition, though, that it was two days later, and it yes. makes like that joke about it must have been a very good dinner. Yes, yes. This is also an era where um, 
we're just getting out of the era where the caption boxes actually have a strong authorial voice. Um, like peak examples of this would be the '60s, where Stan Lee basically wrote his Stan Lee in those caption boxes, but also uh, like the Chris Claremont voice was a very real thing in oh. early to mid X Men. The Claremontian narrator was a real character, um, and usually was berating Cyclops because you know Cyclops is always the, the worst. Uh, yeah, also, I do want to say now that Tony's out of the armor. Um, he has a fantastically 80s mullet, which I just love. Especially as someone who had curly hair in this time period, seeing a comic book character with curly hair and so much willing to draw curly hair was like amazing to me. <laughs> uh, but um, he had comp- he's in his lab. He confiscated um, some armor uh, from uh, someone named Clay Wilson, uh, who used to be a bad guy. He went straight. This happens in some of the earlier issues I was talking about. Uh, And he's examining it and he realized that some of the technology is actually identical to the tech that he has created. Uh, So we cut to Rhodey hearing some banging noises and uh, he goes into Tony's lab and Tony has torn his lab apart. He's trying to find uh, the bug. He feels like there should be a bug here somewhere, uh, how someone found out about his tech. Uh, and it's interesting, again, Rudy makes a comment of either he's gone crazy or, crazy or back on the bottle. Uh, so it's a nice little nod back to Tony's alcoholism problems, which I, again, really appreciate because one thing I like about the long-form Iron Man comic is that Tony's alcoholism doesn't go away. No. It doesn't like go to the end of the episode and go, cool, he solved this problem and never comes again. It does keep popping back up and other characters keep thinking every time Tony acts weird, it's like, is he drinking again? Which is great. I love that. Uh, but um, a- after Rudy calms down, uh, Tony realizes there's not really anything there. Um, he, he mentions that some of the technology is actually uh, mine. And he, this is something that is stuck in my head for a long time. It's like, it was so secret, I didn't want to risk patenting it. And for years, I was like, I don't understand why that would be an issue. But now that I'm I'm, I'm creative and have my own company. I realized that you have to publicly release patents, and then there's a period of time where other companies can refute that patent before you finally get it. So it's patents are public domain. Uh, and the material in them is a public domain. Obviously, that's the point is to protect them, but anyone can read the patent and go, oh, okay, this is now I think that you are protecting. Uh, perhaps most infamously in our industry, um, Hasbro has patented the concept of turning a card sideways and calling it tap uh, for magic for uh, magic the gathering. So they that they've, they've patented that term and that game mechanic. So there's actually a valid point of like if I patent this, people will see the technology and be able to reverse engineer it because people who people who use for very purposes don't care about violating IP law theoretically. <laughs> Um, so it's like, you know, I, I was going over for the world, but oh man, I don't want to risk an IP lawsuit. <laughs> um, that foiled Dr. Doom many a time. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it, it was legal by a lot varying IP law, so that's okay. Um, uh, but then uh, Tony, and I love this scene. Um, he's like, so I've gone into the computer and I've printed out a list of every single armored person who could possibly benefit from my technology. <laughs> 
And it, and it's, just, it's it's a whole almost a whole page of just like it's the Beetle, Shockwave, Doctor Doom, Stiltman, the Crimson Dynamo, the Mauler, the Controller, the Raiders, and the list goes on. It's like yes, I mean if you listed every armored character in the Marvel Universe, it would that would be the rest of the comic. <laughs> There's just so many of them. For me though, the, the reason this was so funny, it's some of, some of it was like the list of villains, but also this advanced supercomputers, and he's printing it out. It's like. <laughs> Or it's like your iPad, like your projector that could scroll through all the names. Paper. And again, like, this isn't like a, a, a this is, again, 87. This wasn't like a desktop computer. This is a massive, you know, taller than Tony, you know, wall-mounted computer. <laughs> it's like the back computer, effectively. To print a list. It's, it's amazing. So, oh, so good. Um, uh, so, they're leaving to go to the, uh, the, parking lot um and we find we run into another of the subplots that are going on um which is uh his uh pr consultants uh is uh, mrs pearson who's also dating Rhodey. and so uh there's this kind of interesting triangle that's been going on in previous issues of Rhodey loves marcy um but he can't tell her what he knows about Tony's secrets, but she realizes that Rhodey's keeping secrets from her and Tony's keeping secrets from her. And she's trying to do the best job she can for Stark Enterprises. So there's this constant tension of, I love you and I trust you, but I can't tell you everything. And it's peak Marvel. These problems will be solved if everyone sat down in a room for five minutes to have an actual conversation. But no, we can't do that. That's, that's not where the drama lies. All right. I, I, I'm going to have to say, but for this one, though, it's if you work for a company or like the governor somewhere else, equivalently, you have levels of clearance and there's need to know. Mm-hmm. And that drama I can like go with because she doesn't have equivalently a need to know or wouldn't have reasons for that sort of access level compared to Rhodey, who would always be with Tony. So he would know like the upper echelons of knowledge. And if the comic ever actually used that excuse, I would 100% buy it. But it, it, like, every <laughs> other possible excuse that is so much worse touche like, sir touche um tony's like we have to cancel iron man's appearance and then just walks off and it's like <laughs> tell your pr person why you're canceling your iron man's appearance <laughs> but or just say i can't know, tell you <laughs> but we all know that tony is a dick and that is what <laughs> he does because it goes Wait, back to one of the original things for iron man is he was supposed to have been this capitalist business person that was generally supposed supposedly disliked, but really charismatic. And that nature still holds truth. The character through most of the runs that I remember reading mm-hmm. and it's lack of concern for like the common person or the person that's working. I will vent at you and I'll think about apologizing later, but you'll never see me apologize. No, no totally. And it's one of the reasons why I actually like Tony as a character is because he's a jerk. Um, and he'll occasionally uh, uh, you know, lament about this, but doesn't really change. And that's, that's why I'm reason why I love Robert Downey's portrayal of him, because it really nails that line of, I like you, I still have attention in you, but you're also kind of consistently an asshole, and you're not really changing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, he goes to um, uh, Barsco Electric, Electronics um, because uh, Clay Wilson... Um, he actually, Tony actually gave, uh, uh, got his name changed and set him up with another company so he could do it to so an electronic company so he can go straight. Um, and so he pulls to a private meeting with him 
and basically says, you know, the, the force armor that was, I mean, where'd you get it from? Um, and the really advanced stuff uh, was supplied by Hammer, who is his constant business rifle. Um, and Clay's like, yeah, I don't know where I got it from. And Tony's like, yeah, thank you, whatever. Just, And of course, peak Tony is like, he's sitting at his, at Clay's desk. And then he spins the chair around and dismisses Clay from his own office. <laughs> because <laughs> Tony is a dick. Like, it goes back to... So, um, what does a force armor do? Uh, I believe the force armor has um, a, a version of the repulsor rays, which is the reason why Tony wanted to look it over. Um, beyond that, I don't remember. I think it may be also force fields. I actually don't remember. Sorry. Uh, it was not a memorable character, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the one thing I did note, though, I think is he says, maybe it's not quite yet, but Clay went straight from doing terrorism. Like to that business. phrase yeah, yeah. stuck in my mind. And I'm. did you get it? I don't know if they referenced it. Was there any sort of like legal stuff that Clay had to go through or did Tony just give him a name change and put him in business somewhere? <laughs> Tony's rich and white. He doesn't have to worry about the law. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was getting at. All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> now, I will say um, uh, uh, we're definitely in an era where the social impact of the word terrorist is very different. I mean, we're, this is pre-9-11. I mean, we're roughly 10 years away from like safety space nine where a main character will be labeled as, as consistently as a former terrorist. So it's thrown around a little more casually in this comic than I think it would be today. But yeah, certainly as someone who genuinely threatened people and, and endangered people and just got a new life because I mean, there's reasons why, but also kind of cause Tony's heads up. Yeah. Um, so, uh, he's driving around, uh, and Tony basically is calming him down, but also, or sorry, uh, Rhodey is calming him down, but also kind of nudges him towards, Hey, maybe you should do the, the Iron Man appearance. Maybe that'll calm you down. And he, and Tony's like, yeah, it's probably a good idea, but it's also because Marcy, he said, he told Marcy he would try to talk to Tony into it. Um, so it's, again, I, I liked the dynamic here of like, everyone's kind of getting what they want and Tony's laser focused on this moral mission. And Rudy's like, okay, yeah, but also we should get this other, you know, basic shit done because you know, the company actually needs you to do do your fucking job. And I just <laughs> love that. And they kind of like, yeah, boss, but maybe you should you know do this thing instead. Uh, so they go to um, the Air Force Base, and um, uh, they show off uh, a tank called the Devastator, which is actually a remote controlled tank. And that's kind of the big pitch is. Um, showing how strong it is, how much it can carry, and the fact that it's operated by an individual at a different platform, so it's not actually endangering people. So that's, that's the big pitch. It's not a... It's, it says it's not a weapon. Watch well, it. No, this is a weapon. It's one of the strongest weapons in the arsenal. Um, but Tony's trying to position this as defensive technology, which is odd. Uh, but I think the argument is no one's getting hurt that's on the right end of the barrel, so that's okay. Morally uh, dubious. One of the ways they're kind of show how strong it is is that part of the stunt that we didn't see before is that Iron Man's going to be chained up to two of these things and they're going to pull away and he's going to struggle with this and, and they're going to show how strong it is. 
Um, and Tony's not really paying attention, and they actually do a nice, cool page-long flashback recapping his origin. Again, this is a nice kind of place-setting issue for people who maybe newer to the comic of like, here's here he was in uh, at this time, kind of undisclosed war. Uh, it was originally the Korean War, but now in the eighties, it's kind of like it could be, have been the Vietnam War. Um, or just some other kind of war. It's really vague. Uh, but he gets, you know, if you've seen a movie, the same origin, you know, he was attacked, uh, metal in his armor. Um, he, he invented a suit of armor to protect his heart and escape. He kept iterating on that. He built his own company. We see all sorts of uh, great images, including, yes, the underwater one with, he has a helmet on and around his helmet is a fishbowl. So that I love it. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, and so he's getting more head up, like all the stuff, all after he's been through everything, he's built this up and now it's being taken away from. And so he just pulls the, the chains and destroys the two tanks. Um, he goes, oh, geez. He's, like, he's just so frustrated. He's just, and then actually explodes tanks. <laughs> um, and so uh, the crowd's happy with it, but the brass are not. Um, and so he's like, Stark will pay for the damages. And then he basically thinks he's lost the contract. Uh, Marcy comes in um, and talks about how uh, she's walking a fine line because they're trying to absolve Stark Enterprises from any blame, but also trying not to implicate the military for being responsible. Like, no one's to blame here. <laughs> it's not you, it's not us. Just It just happens, even though Iron Man, who is objectively an employee of Stark Enterprises, totally did this. Um, so, uh, um, Tony decides to blow off steam. He uh, goes to a movie. Um, it's it's a looks like it's a platoon. It's it's unclear. I think it's supposed to be platoon. No, it's a movie. It's, that a, it's, it's a new be- movie. Right. A new movie that's supposed to be like the equivalent of a platoon that deals with terrorism. <laughs> right. Yes, because people are blowing up and shooting stuff, and and of course it, this bothers Tony, and he just gets up and leaves his date. Um, she follows him. He puts her in a car. And he says, yeah, you take the car. I'm going to walk home. Um, then uh, we see uh, Marcy and Rhodey are also walking to their house. Um, and there's a, a guy who's working on his sports car and revving his engine late at night. Um, and Tony, or sorry, Jim's like going to be aggressive about it. And Marcy, she talks him back. But she remarks, like, oh, you're being very edgy. And it's like, yeah, it's the boss got lots of troubles. You know how it is. Um, and so she calms him down. Uh, Tony, we cut back to his apartments. Uh, he's been up all night. And so he calls Clay up. And this is, again, a fascinating page because it's Tony being a dick, but also you can kind of see where it got there. He calls Clay up in the middle of the night and basically says, how many did you kill? How many did you kill with my armor? And he's like, I'm... That part of my life is over. I tried to think about it. And then Tony just hangs up on him. And Tony immediately was like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have called him. That was on me. But, you know, you could see how he's seething, how this is really eating him up. And, you know, at this point, like, you know, we're still like maybe two thirds of the way through the comic. There's a lot of comic in here. It's like I mentioned, like, for the, <laughs> before we actually get started, I'd forgotten how long comics were back in the day mm-hmm. and how deep and thick with plots they were compared to some of the more recent ones I've read that are that are lighter on plots but have some beautiful art to them. 
Mm-hmm. And the art here, honestly, we haven't talked about much, but like it's it's not bad. It's very strong um, 80s house style. It's uh, M.D. Bright, uh, who I admit I primarily know through um, his work on Quantum and Woody with Valiant in the 90s. Uh, but this is his earlier style, and it's 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 really strong. It's it, it's not like, oh my god, amazing, but it's very clear. The story you never get lost. Everything looks the way it does. It, it's just nice and solid art, frankly. It still stands up. What thirty, forty years later? Yeah, no, yeah, it it, it doesn't like oh that looks so eighties. It's like no, I could if you different coloring, you could read this comic today, frankly, if it had digital coloring. Um, that's so uh, uh, Rhodey is flying Tony. Um, and they're kind of again talking over, uh, what they're gonna do about hammer. And Tony's like, I'm, I, I'm gonna do whatever it takes. And they're flying to, uh, a company called Accutech, uh, which is one of the subsidiaries of Stark Enterprises. And he is talking to, um, uh, man named, uh, Zimmer, uh, who, is a computer programmer that Tony helped about five issues previously. And basically he's like, I want you to get any information you can about Justin Hammer and maybe break into some computers to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he talks about making uh, basically a, a, a worm, which is pretty innovative technological stuff in 87 that they're talking about. The idea that, you know, you put a piece of program out for it that will gather information and also delete itself from servers. Uh, and he's like, this may not be legal. And Zimmer's like, yeah, whatever. You help me out. I got this. So one of the things I really loved about this part of it is yeah. that it shows that Tony can't do everything. Mm-hmm. And it keeps going back to he has a specific skill set and like he needs other people to help him do these things. And it shows him regardless of how much of a jerk he is working with these people. And he's done things in the past to help them to incentivize them to work with him to do these things, regardless of the legality of it. Right. One, uh, when Iron Man is written well, and it is frankly, he's a character to write, like, very easy to write badly. When he is written well, you're absolutely right. It's the, he's good at inventing. He is good at uh, uh, being a, what now we'll call a futurist, where he's like, putting things together people don't realize. He's terrible at running a business. He's terrible at specific skill sets because he's kind of more like, I can build armor, I can build this stuff, but like the nuances of actually how to interact with this technology that's been applied and exists day to day, he's not that good at. And so it's like, okay, I need someone who's a computer programmer because I can invent a whole new OS, but I can't tell you how to get into Windows now, right? Yep. Um, I can't, I can fly in a suit of armor, but I can't pilot a helicopter. Um, and frankly, Tony, when written well, lacks soft skills that he needs characters around him to help him with those too. And so you get in this nice cycle of Tony tries to do it all, fails, falls back on his supporting cast, then pushes the supporting cast away because he's worried about their safety and a nice good cycle going there. Uh, but anyway, Zimmer says that his backdoor bay needs someone who's good, who's very good at technology, was willing to break the law, and is completely reliable. Um, and so uh, he goes to his secretary, Mr. Abergast, Mrs., sorry, Mrs. Abergast, which who is frankly fantastic. Um, I <laughs> loved her this entire run because she does not put up with Tony shit whatsoever. 
but in this issue, he's like, I, I need to get hold of Scott Lang. I don't know how to get a hold of him, but uh, do a computer sweep of all the directories and maybe buy up TV slots because I know he'll watch his movies. And she's like, or you could just call this number on his letterhead. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, again, like you're saying, it's like he's thinking, he's way overthinking this problem. And he needs people around him and goes, or just do this. Just do the simple thing, Tony. Um, and it turns out that um, Lang, because he's a former criminal again, like the Marvel movies, um, he's trying to set up a new business for himself. He's struggling because no one wants to hire an ex-con. And he's basically working out of his house in uh, Los Angeles. Um, and we meet his daughter, Cassie, um, who, yes, does uh, grow up to become stature in The Young Avengers. Um, and uh, Tony and Cassie have a bit of a relationship from past times that uh, he's spent time with Scott Lang's like, she's like uncle Tony and they hug and hang out. Um, and so uh, he, you know, Scott's talking about how difficult it is to have a business and Tony's like, I need some help. It's not legal. And Scott is like, no, I'm, I'm an ex con. I spent five years in prison. I'm not going to lose. I'm not going to miss five years of my daughter's life. I'm not going to miss any more of my daughter's life. And he's like, lives are on the line. You know, I'll, I'll, Buy you whatever story you want. I'll, I'll give you a startup seed capital. Just do this. And Scott, and again, it's kind of a great line. Is like, you always know which strings to pull, Tony. I'm not sure whether I admire that or resent it, but what the heck, I'm in. It's a nice touch because like Scott's kind of pissed that he's accepting this, but he's like, I, I need your, I need this money. You have it. So yeah, I guess do one more job for you. And Tony feels right. like crap about it. But before we go on, so. Mm-hmm. This is a problem that I, I have, like with this, and that I had with uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. You have these characters who were Avengers are associated with Avengers that mm-hmm. need money for different businesses or just to get by, and they are adjacent to billionaires who could float them like ten thousand dollars, just like ah, here's lunch, oh, yeah. go go do this, and it doesn't happen like that break is hard for my brain to always compensate because these are people that have been out fighting with you against supervillains risking their lives and this off thing that you could do could vastly change their lives for the better you don't do just as a random thought just whip. or i mean or even to argue it's like why is it that the terrorist gets a new life in a business but the avenger doesn't why does yeah. scott lane not get his record wiped clean but this other guy did you know and the answer is because writers want to have drama. I mean, that's the real reason. I know, but... But yeah, ah. no, it's frustrating. It is right. Um, so they set up uh, a plan. And basically, um, the plan is that uh, um, Zimmer... Lang's going to break in. He's going to flip uh, a chip inside the system that goes from incoming to outgoing. And then Zimmer will use that window opportunity to scrape as much data as possible uh, to get from Hammer a list of people he sold the technology to. Um, but nobody seems to know. It's, it's a little unclear whether Tony knows or not, um, but nobody else seems to know is that uh, Scott Lang is going to actually physically infiltrate the system as uh, Ant-Man, even though it's implied that he has some kind of secret. Because Tony is like, or, or, sorry, Rhodey is like, just said it was a trade secret. I can't explain how he's getting in. Um, and so it's like, whatever, you know, we're not going to ask questions. Um, so uh, Scott Lang... Gets a flying ant. He goes into Transcorp, where this is happening. Uh, he 
almost gets gassed, realizes it's kind of a pest control thing, zaps it, uh, and finds, waits for the right moments until distraction hits. Uh, Iron Man actually pounds into the building, causing it to shake. <laughs> While everyone's, because, you know, subtle. Tony's so subtle. Uh, then, um, as soon as that hits, uh, he flips the switch. Zimmer grabs stuff in. Um, as the guards notice, hey, there's light going on. We should stop that. Pushes a button. And uh, yeah, it has a small window. Uh, everyone unsuits. Tony goes back. Zimmer's like, I didn't look at the file. I just copied it for you. Here you go. Uh, and said that that Scotland guy was great. You should, you should give him a bonus. Uh, so they look at the floppy disk. Ah, he's... <laughs> Um, in, into the, the drive unit of a desktop PC. Now we have the small desktop PC. Again, inconsistent technology. Love it. Uh, and um, turns out that Hammer didn't sell technology. It was a character known as Spymaster because he's a spy. Uh, I love Spymaster. And, and Spymaster is dead at this point in continuity. He gets better. But right now he's dead. And uh, we see part of the list of people he sold it to. And it's similar to the list we saw earlier. So we see Beetle Controller, Professor Power, the Raiders, uh, Shocker, I think. And then ST is the next name, but it's, it's covered by a balloon. Um, and so all of these people have uh, technology. So Tony it's like, okay, I'm going to try legal first. So he gets the legal team together and it's like, here's what's going on. Be discreet. Use every legal trick in the book. Nothing is a higher priority. And... He's like, okay, and then after they leave, like, I don't think that's going to do any good, but I have to give it a shot. Uh, but it doesn't mean I have to sit on my hands. And so we cut to who's inarguably the best armored villain in the Marvel Universe, <laughs> Stiltman. Stiltman is breaking into a building. And he's Stiltman like, has given Daredevil a run for his money many a time. <laughs> that is not a high part of clear. Doctor Doom, Doctor Doom switched <laughs> minds with Daredevil once, and no one noticed. <laughs> um, Stiltman's breaking into a building as a burglar. He's like, no one puts alarms up this high, and that's why Stiltman's so successful. You keep thinking that, buddy. <laughs> um, so Tony punches one of his stilts. He retracts it and tries to hit Tony with the stilt. So Iron Man picks up the other stilt on the ground and just flips it up in the air. And that's it. He jettisons the stilts and goes, oh, hey, look at this new thing. I, I, I can escape. So he picks up the big metal thing that was left behind and hits him with it. And he goes down. Um, and he puts a pack on there. And he leaves. He flies to helicopter throaty. And we find out that the um, device is actually something that Tony's created. It's um, uh, basically a... Uh, negator pack and he puts it on there and it only will go on to suits that use Tony's technology. Um, but it fuses wires, uh, turns plastic to powder, um, basically renders all the circuitry completely useless. And he even says, not all of our targets will be this easy because fuck Stiltman. <laughs> <laughs> this comic just buries Stiltman so bad. <laughs> um, I am and- curious though. What mm-hmm. would happen if someone put one of the packs on Iron Man? That's I was thinking too. Is like arguably that works against Iron Man. Although I suspect Tony probably would have worked that kink out of his own armor. Maybe. Maybe um, he he did say earlier that um, 
the the technology he got from the file um, was back at his from probably back when he had his armor from his old base of operations. So he doesn't have the latest updates of his new armor. So presumably the, the Gator Pack could be focused on his last generation of armor. But the comic does not explicitly say that. I am just filling in the gaps here. Uh, anyway, so um, his lawyer comes back and says quite correctly that we can't use the evidence you found in the illegal raid because it's <laughs> illegal. And Tony's like, oh, well, sucks. Tried the legal system, guess it didn't work. And it's like, Tony, Tony. <laughs> Tony. Um, anyway, um, that's one of my favorite scenes coming up. Is um, he goes? Uh, Brendan Doyle is a uh, Irish uh, marksman. Uh, he's actually at a, a Soldier of Fortune convention where he's doing um, uh, a, a marksman automatic weapon competition, and he's he won an award. Um, and of course, it's Marvel in the eighties, so he is stereotypically Irish. You know, it says laddie and the whole nine yards. Not quite as bad as. Um, uh, some Irish characters or Scottish characters under Chris Claremont's pen, but certainly it's like, you know, of course, oh laddie. Um, but we find out he's the Mauler, uh, and Iron Man shows up in his hotel room and it's like, you're a mercenary Mauler. Um, you have this armor. I want your armor. And Doyle's like, okay, here you go. <laughs> and it's like, I get paid to fight. So... <laughs> And then he thinks to himself, like going, you know, that was a nice meal ticket, but I'll steal another. And he just watches Iron Man go off. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a smart man. And it's like, okay, you're wearing armor. I'm not. You want this thing? Cool, buddy. Here you go. <laughs> um, uh, so we go back. He talks to uh, uh, his lawyer again and says, that, again, correctly, technology is never patented. Your invention is therefore in the public domain. That I disagree with, but I'll, I'll, let me finish my thought here. Um, they try to say that there's argument whether there's any theft at all, and Tony goes off on him. It's like, I pay you top dollar, I expect to earn something. It just goes off on him. Uh, now, I don't know what IEP law was like in 87, but I do know that there is some limited protection for if you can prove that you have created it and you've not yet patented it or filed for trademark, you do have a small window of protection regardless. Now, I don't know if that's you know you're giving you know you're giving a lot of credit to the Marvel writing team, right? To actually go out and research that. I'm just saying the legal stuff until now was actually pretty sound. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that was. I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly you know She-Hawk levels of of or even Daredevil <laughs> levels of, of legal detail here. Um, but I was just like, no, this actually makes some decent sense. And I think to a larger point though, it's like there's some interesting actual business intrigue happening in this comic, which. A, Iron Man does not always do, and B, Iron Man does not always care about. Uh, so it's fun to kind of actually have, like, you know, there's actually real-world problems that Tony's trying to navigate on top of also punching people in the face. Um, so they go to a tanning salon, uh, which turns out to be a front for a character called the Controller who uses uh, control discs on the back of people's heads to turn them into mind-controlled zombies. Um, long, long-term uh, Iron Man villain. Um, and it's kind of neat that he's using a tanning salon. So like basically they're face down and then they have a chance to get a little arm pops out and put a disc back. Tony catches one. It's like, yep, this is the place. A bunch of people um, who are mind controlled try to come out and uh, come after them. Um, and so Jim Rhodes pulls out a gun and Tony's like, maybe not shoot them. <laughs> but he's like, oh, all right. <laughs> um, so uh, 
he holds them off while Tony switches to Iron Man, and you see the controller who's looking at looks like hundreds of people. And uh was like, yeah, I'll have them all kill you. And then as there are a whole bunch of people crowding onto Iron Man's armor, uh, the controller leaps off to grab him by the neck, and a boy gets caught between the controller and Iron Man and snaps his neck, which is Wait, brutal. That's that's high drama, but I want I want to go back to the kid reason why the controller left his vantage point because Iron Man accused him of not being man enough to handle things himself. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. Like that, the silliness of that strikes no, me totally hard right. as like, an adult. It would be one thing if like, it was like say Dr. Doom, right? Someone who has maybe gotten their hands dirty now and then and has changed tactics. The guy's called the controller. This is his thing. <laughs> yeah. Like this is this is this is my dick. This is all I do. Go get him. That's like going to Quicksilver and saying, Well, if you didn't run so fast, you wouldn't be so tough. It's like, this is my thing. This is what I do. <laughs> um, but yes, it is high drama. The kid dies, Tony snaps, and just punches the controller. He knock, knocks him out onto a beach and then starts beating the crap out of him. Um, but then some people on the beach turning towards him and realizes, oh, they're also being controlled. So he pops the um, control pack on him. And one of the things, he has a half second of hesitation because the controller's technology is integrated. It's not a suit. He actually has tech integrated into his body. He's basically kind of a cyborg with a suit around him. Um, so it's like, did he die? And then we hear it groans. Okay, he lives. You know, bully for him. Great. Um, uh, so we go back to final page. Um, we talk to the lawyer again, Mr. Hindle, by the way, his name. Um, and they've made a case that his civil rights have been violated by the theft of your unpatented uh, intentions, which is actually not a, again, not a bad thing. I'm not a lawyer, but based on my limited knowledge, this is a, a pretty good tactic to take. Um, he stole it from you. There was private information. You have some protection. So we, can, so we can't go to... Mr. Hammer, because he's too well protected, but we can secure the rights to future use technology. And he's nailed down a hearing date, hearing date in two years, which again, given workload is not a reasonable, two years is pretty fast. Tony has none of this. He loses his crap. It's like, how many people will die by then? It's like, but you don't understand. And just throws him out. Um, and so Tony's like, that's it. I tried the law. It was inconvenient. I'm done. Um, so now I have to either support the law or go against it and heaven helps anyone who gets in my way. And so now the armor wars have officially started and that is the end of the issue. Can I tell you how much I love the idea of a white person with a bunch of money and unsanctioned law, taking the law into their own hands to do whatever they think is right. Yeah. Can I tell you how much I love that idea? (laughs) But so I mean, like, do you, is this is this comic did it like age badly for you, or is it one of those like, in spite of that, you still liked it? I mean, I'm curious what your, your stance on it is. Well, that would be a larger t- in larger inherent talk about superheroes and justice and like vigilantes and so forth and so on. But mm-hmm. we'll put that to the side for like a later talk somewhere way down the road. But right. specifically for the comic, um, I still enjoyed it. What I liked and I'd forgotten though is how diverse some of Tony's like supporting character cast are mm-hmm. like with Rhodey and Marcy being like mm-hmm. primary characters in the story, keep popping up doing their jobs. 
and being a big focal point of the story, then coupled with a few other minor people that you see throughout the issue, which I think was a mm-hmm. nice touch. Yeah. Um, Mrs. Abergast is not a conventionally attractive woman. And in fact, she, she's, she's somewhat overweight. Um, and it does not detract at all from how badass she is in her field. Yep. Uh, so, I, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. It was also interesting to see the the convicts who are trying to go right having a chance to continue to be productive members of society, even if how they got to be there is morally questionable. Mm-hmm. Because you have Clay, who's just trying to do his job and wanting to be a good person, regardless of what he's done before. And then you've got Scott, who served time, but is still willing to try to do some heroics. But he needs to like do this other legal thing again for the benefit of his family. Mm-hmm. So it shows a little moral complexity for those characters, which I like. Right. What about you? Um, I think all that is, is very valid. I also like, again, this is an era of Iron Man I really like because Tony is flawed and his supporting cast, they do put up with it, but they also recognize it and work around it or do call him out occasionally on it. Um, he doesn't just get away with whatever he wants. He doesn't throw a fit and everyone goes, oh, yo, whatever. I guess we'll give the thing. Um, like when he treats his lawyer badly, like he's just doing his job, man. Let him be. You know, when he almost screws up this PR thing, you know, Marcy's like, what is going on? I'm trying to get this to work. Uh, so there's different levels of their reaction to Tony. And some of it is based on how much power they have in their respective relationships. Uh you know, Rhodey has a lot more power because he knows a lot more about Tony's secrets and therefore can leverage that to try to get Tony to point him in the right direction. Uh, but I just, I like the fact that there is, Tony is not infallible by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, uh, if you look at this the right way, you could even make an argument for him being an anti-hero in the fact of how much he's damaging situation. But it's an interesting sense of, of there's just frankly just really good drama in this. Uh, uh, there are some good fights. Uh, some of it is against inanimate objects or uh, which, you know, it's great. But I mean, like, you know, his, the scene with the controller, it's like, it's the, they're, they're, they do a good job of ramping up. Like, okay, this is, you know, Tony's getting upset about the, 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 the cost in lives and ha- that's making him more and more irrational. And then when someone actually dies, as a result of this quest, he just loses it. He doesn't ever lose his own desire to keep people alive. That his moment of station with the controller, but also as soon as he knows he's alive, he's like, "Cool, screw this guy, I'm out." Um, so yeah, it's it's and it's dense, like you said. I mean, that was all that we thought this was big, a 15, 20 minute thing. We've done almost an hour, and that's just one comic, twenty four pages. There's a lot there. Yeah, and. And the, the buildup, how you were saying, is great because you have like the start fight with Stiltman. It's of course it's going to be comical, yeah. And then you have sort of a social interaction conflict, and then you get the actual real fight of the issue with Iron Man versus another armored opponent. Mm-hmm. And I like that again. Like like the scene with the Mauler, it's funny, but also it, it, I, I I genuinely dig it because like some of these people are just not going to have an issue, right? Um, and and we're getting through, um the laughable villain, the guy who has no problem handing it over and the character who's object, like really obviously objectionable. It's like the controller's a really bad guy doing bad things. We feel fine about punching this guy out. Uh, 
um, it sets up for there's going to be more complicated stuff coming down the line, which I'm looking forward to. Yeah, well, me too. I remember some I of there's at because least... I know next issue is Stingray. <laughs> Fucking Stingray. I shouldn't laugh at some of these people, but some of them I have to. I'm sorry. And Stingray is one of them. Right. Uh, so next time we will cover issue 226 of Iron Man. Uh, do you have anything else before we go, or do you want to just go right into where people can find you online? Uh, well, if folks like this, let us know, and we might consider putting this in a rotation again for both of us on the show. Because I know, mm-hmm. regardless, I'm going to be pushing Eddie to do some more solo stuff in the Discord, and we'll see if you let it happen. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at darker underscore Hugh. Or you can find me in the Discord once again, plotting and trying to make things happen. Where can folks find uh, you? You can find me on Twitter as Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find my website at Pugsteady.com. Um, or you can find me being badgered by <laughs> Chris <laughs> the Discord. Um, but yeah, let us know what you think. Um, we, again, it, I, I may do some more solo stuff, but also if you like this two-person format, you know, this might be a fun thing to do every now and then. Um, it's a nice way to kind of change things up. I dig it. So with that, catch y'all later. Peace.